Good morning, and welcome to today's convocation about this past summer's SST units experience in Nicaragua. My name is Brianne Brenneman. I am a junior biochemistry major, and I have a business minor. As I hope most of you know, SST is Goshen's study service term, where we as students get to live in another country for three months. You take language classes, as well as classes about the culture, history, literature, healthcare, political situation, educational system, art, music, basically everything. We were also able to learn more about these topics while we took trips, and we were able to see a lot of the country. Nicaragua is located in Central America, above Costa Rica, and below Honduras. Sometimes we only hear about the good things that people experience on SST. And while there are a lot of good times, and it's really fun to hear those stories, it isn't necessarily realistic. The most scared I was on SST was not when I got dengue and had a fever of 104 degrees and couldn't keep my eyes open, or when I walked for five hours with my host mother to an unknown destination. The most scared I was on SST was when I got locked out of my house and my family was gone to their grandmother's until 8 p.m. The sun sets early during the summer in Nicaragua, and I was on my front steps, waiting. Waiting and growing more and more angry. As the sun sets, men become more confident. I had guys walking by asking if they could take me home, annoying, but not threatening. Then a story I have not told many people before today. A man stepped out off his motorcycle and tried to grab me. I yanked my arm away and said firmly, in Spanish, touch me and I will scream. He backed off and laughed a bit, but left. I sat on my front steps in shock and with a lot of fear. My neighbors, an older couple, came outside to find me hunched over and shaking. They invited me into their home, and because I had met them before, I gladly accepted. I watched American baseball with Don Jose and Doña Olympia gave me juice and a grilled cheese sandwich with the kind of cheese we eat here. This was very much appreciated after a steady diet of tortillas, nasty in my opinion cheese, and gallo pinto, which is rice and beans. I talked with them for about two hours as my family ran very late, but early in Nicaraguan time. Towards the end of my time with Jose and Olympia, they told me they wanted me to feel comfortable coming over any time and to think of them as my Nicaraguan grandparents. The love and care they showed me that night was meaningful beyond anything I have ever experienced. I recently talked with a friend where she told me about how her boyfriend said to her, you know, you can't think about SST forever. I audibly gasped as she told me about this conversation. I think I can speak for almost everyone who stands here with me today that this summer was not something we will stop thinking about. We were faced with a lot of questions concerning our beliefs, our futures, and who we as privileged Americans want to be as we continue to make connections outside of our bubble here at Goshen. And for those going on the May term trip this year to Nicaragua, we would love to answer any questions you have regarding culture, food, what to pack, stuff like that. There's no way for us to accurately portray everything that happened this summer, and we are not trying to. But we hope that by hearing about our experiences, you will also think about going on SST, because between you and me, it's worth it.
important uh, as a basis for some of our experiences that we're going to share um, for you to know a little bit about the country's geography and history. So um, we spent the vast majority, almost all our time, in the western part of the country where most of the people live. Um, but we did take one trip that we're going to talk about a little bit later um, to the east coast. The east coast regions are um, Semi-autonomous, they're populated by people from different ethnic groups than make up most of the population in the western part of the country. Um, in the south there are Creole people and in the north there are Mosquito people, which are um, the last large indigenous group that is left in the country. Um, yeah, and let's see. Um, over between, there are two large lakes that are over here in the southwestern part of the country, and in between those, sort of a little bit to the south of the farther north lake, is Managua, the country's capital. Um, that's where we flew in and out of, and we spent time studying in a town near there called Hinotepe. Um, so, in the past century, the U.S.'s involvement has been very important, but not in a good way, to Nicaraguan history. Um, the U.S. Marines occupied Nicaragua for 20 years between approximately 1912 and 1933. And then after the Marines, there was a U.S.-backed dictatorship that lasted for 45 years, which was very repressive and fell to the Nicaraguan Revolution, um, finally fell in 1979. And that's a huge part of um, the country's story as we find it today. Um, and let's see, so the coolest thing about SST for me, I guess, was getting to interact with people who had experienced the history of the revolution firsthand, including some people who were rather influential. This is um, Father Fernando Cardinal, and he was one of a number of Jesuit priests who found that the, um, the most faithful way for them to continue their ministry was to join the Sandinista Liberation Front, which was the organization that um, was leading the charge to take down the dictatorship. And once they succeeded, uh, a number of those Jesuit priests had influential roles in the new government. Um, Father Cardinal was the Minister of Education for a number of years. He also headed up the Nicaraguan Literacy Campaign, which was one of many internationally recognized social programs of the Sandinista, uh, Sandinista government that took over after, after the dictatorship. So one afternoon, we got to have um, our own private uh, lecture, sort of, where Father Cardinal shared his experiences and shared about a number of really dedicated um, youth, Nicaraguan youth, in the literacy campaign, around 60,000 Nicaraguan youth of approximately high school and college age volunteered to go into more rural areas and teach and improve the country's literacy rate, um, and they improved see, the illiteracy rate in the country dropped from 50% to 12%. And 
And um, that was one of many huge accomplishments that the Sandinistas made um, on no budget, because once the dictator left and all the business classes left, they were working with basically no money. So everything they did was done with um, more or less with volunteers. And they had health centers that they founded. They had um, education initiatives, land reform, all these things that were internationally recognized for improving things in the country. However, the U.S. then responded by backing the contra, um, contra military forces that came from the north in Honduras and from around also um, in the northeastern part of Nicaragua and some from Costa Rica. Those were backed by the U.S. and more or less came to sabotage all the initiatives that the Sandinista government had in place. Um, and eventually, in 1990, the Sandinista government, as it was in the 80s, came to an end, um, and a lot of those social programs also faltered. Um, and so that's disappointing, obviously. It's really sad to go and find that kind of thing out as a U.S. person. But um, it was really cool to be with people like Fernando Cardinal. We met other people who had been... Um, in key positions in the government, like uh, the vice president uh, during the later 80s. He, he owned a house across, from, across the street from where I lived on service, and I got to meet him once. Um, and in some cases, uh, with older people like Padre Cardinal, um, he likely won't speak to any more groups of people uh, the rest of his life, and we got to, we got to hear from him. So that was really cool. Um, and I'll pass it on. I've talked long enough. Hello, my name is Aaron Graber. I'm a biochemistry major and music minor. I'm Maddie, and I'm a junior here, and I'm a Spanish and journalism double major. So while Isaiah talked about the West Coast history of Nicaragua, history that's not talked about very much is the East Coast, which we spent three days upon, while though most of the majority of our time was spent on the West Coast. So to give a brief background of the history of the area, we thought we'd mention this. The Atlantic Coast currently makes up 56% of the land mass of Nicaragua divided into northern and southern autonomous regions with their own respective capitals of Puerto Cabezas and Bluefields. Originally an English colony until a Spanish-English treaty gave ownership to, of the region to Spain. However, the colony was never truly assimilated by the Spanish due to the long resentment of the Spanish by the Creole, um, African slaves who were brought over to work the plantations which eventually were freed, and the native people. Another aspect outlined by the treaty was the exodus of the English from the region, which put many former Creole slaves in charge of the plantations, leading to a class of Creoles which were highly educated and wealthy. However, after the West Coast gained independence from Spain, the newly formed Nicaraguan government set out to assimilate the Atlantic region. Unable to do so, the Nicaraguans called upon the United States, which forced the region to assimilate to Nicaragua. What followed was a huge drop in the education of the East Coast population due to a mandate that required all schools to be taught in Spanish, as well as the exploitation of natural resources, which forced many peoples off their lands. The newly assimilated East Coast also could not have their own people represent them and had little to no representation in the national government. Um, so as Aaron was saying, there's a lack of representation of the people on the East Coast in their own government. And so as the autonomous regions continued to fight for a voice, they um, have been strategically denied access. Um, as a result, the country benefits from the rich production of um, the East Coast, but the East Coast doesn't benefit in the same way from the rest of the country that they are still a part of. Um, the land decay and the impoverishment of the people points to a very complicated history, 
And part of that history is European colonialism that introduced racism and has built a nation on the backs of African-American and indigenous people who are very few at this point in Nicaragua. During our first six weeks together in Nicaragua, um, our group took several weekend trips to get away from the area that we were studying, to bond, and to also experience new um, areas of the country that we wouldn't get to see otherwise. One of the most memorable trips was the ones that we took, was the one that we took to the East Coast. Um, after six hours spent crammed into um, a very small bus with all of our luggage and two hours on a ponga boat, we finally arrived in Pearl Lagoon, where we spent three days experiencing what felt like a completely different world. During our time there, we visited a nearby mosquito village, um, which was a group of indigenous people, and talked with some of the local residents, and even had the chance to play a pickup game in the Caribbean heat. The village was a 30-minute walk from where we were staying, and the most visible divide along racial lines became strikingly obvious as we walked along. The culture, food, architecture, and racial lines became strikingly obvious and were vastly different from what we'd been experiencing the past few weeks. Because Great Britain brought African people to work as slaves on plantations, much of the East population still consists of people with African heritage. In their fight for freedom and autonomy on the East Coast, indigenous groups and people with African ancestry have been left to fend for themselves economically while they are being ruled by the people in the West. The narrative of the Mestizo people, which is people of mixed race of Spanish and indigenous blood, um, believe that racism does, or claim that racism does not exist in Nicaragua, um, but it does, that's not consistent with the story of the people that we got to experience firsthand. Um, and although racism, colorism, and classism has played out differently in Nicaragua, all three forms of oppression were very evident to us on our East Coast trip. Hi, I'm Wade Troyer. I'm a music and Spanish double major. I'm Erin Bergen. I'm an elementary education major. And we both did service in Lagartillo, which you're seeing. These are our kids. A lot of photos up there with the hashtags. That's us. <laughs> um, so to give you some information about the place we did service, I think the, the history is very interesting, but I'll just go over it quickie, quickly. <laughs> um, so people first moved in in the early 80s as a farming cooperative set up by the Sandinista government. Um, they didn't have to pay for anything. Everything was provided for them. They just moved there. And they shared everything like a cooperative, um, farming, cattle, housing, water, and education too. But in 1983, there was a contra attack on the village, um, and it devastated the community there. But luckily, a neighboring person from a village was able to run to the community to warn them minutes before the contras arrived, and they were able to save many more people. But six people were murdered that day, and... Uh, <laughs> And the Contras burned, <laughs> sorry, burned down the whole village and destroyed many of the houses, and it took a while to rebuild. Um, shortly after, they ceased the cooperative initiative and just divided the land among the people. And just some things that happens between then and now, the um, Hijos del Maiz, it's a program for people around the world to come to the area to study Spanish and while we were there we met some people from Germany and Norway or Sweden and the United States. Um, also there's no, the French couple. French couple too. 
Also, there's the Rusticos del Norte, and they're a music group that my host dad and host brother were a part of. And in 2010, they got electricity. And then in 2015, we showed up. Mm -hmm. um, and changed so, their world. And changed their world. <laughs> um, so it's a community of about 100 people right now. It's probably the, it's the biggest it's ever been. It keeps growing. It func it's a functional anarchist community. It works really well. They have a bunch of committees. Um, and they are all in charge of different things. There's, com there's committees for education, for water, um, electricity, peace. Um, they do mediation. And their biggest pride and joy is their library that they have. Um, they have a lot of English books and a lot of Spanish books, luckily, and a lot of really good children's books. And so one thing that Wade and I did while we were there is we decided that we were gonna help them with the library because they were like, oh, you can come do something here. And we're like, okay, so how's it organized? And they go, oh, by height. And so like, you know, you can see it, like all the big books and it like funnels into the little books, next shelf, big books to little books. And so we were like, well, what if we do like, I don't know, genre, and they're like, oh, okay. And so that's what we did for a while. You go. Um, also, we taught some classes to some younger students, age groups like seven to nine, and another larger age group, 15-year-olds. The three-year-olds would come in. Three-year-olds would come in sometimes just for fun. That was cute. Um, <laughs> and We were really good teachers. <laughs> we, were, we were very good teachers. Um, we like to teach them a lot of English words <laughs> and um, we did charades and none of them had ever played charades but they had grown up together and there were like five of them and so they all knew all the same things and so like one of the words was leaf and like okay so go for it so he's so this he's is Roniel. how they did leaf I, I'm Roniel that doesn't help but and everyone goes leaf at the same time we're like oh yeah it's not how charades works <laughs> And sometimes they would walk up there and like just read off the paper, but you know they learned. Yeah, it's not true. Um, no, I think there was a big waterfall there. That's what I had written down. And then another thing we did was help with the farming with Mario. We farmed some zucchinis, watered them every Friday, and since it was since it was very dry there, we had to make our own irrigation systems with bottles. It's really cool. Sticks. Sticks and bottles. <laughs> Go team. Hi. Sorry, my voice is a little cracky. I'm a bit sick. Um, okay, I am a junior. Oh, my name is Molly Zook. You probably want to know that too. Um, I am a double major in biology and American Sign Language Interpreting. Um, and for my service assignment, I got to go um, north into the mountains um, and was placed in the department and city of Hinotega. Um, and I got to work in two different locations, which was really cool. Um, and so in the mornings, I would go to a special education school and I worked with students in grades preschool through sixth grade. And in the afternoon, I worked at a boarding school for deaf children ages 10 through 22. And the kids who I worked with at the special ed school also lived at the boarding school. Um, now, something um, you need to understand about me is that language was a huge part of my experience all throughout SST. Um, it was very defining at each part of my term. 
Um, on study, I struggled to desperately understand Spanish and communicate with my family. On service, I began to feel a little bit more comfortable in my Spanish-speaking skills, but then was thrown into a situation where I had to learn a fourth language. Um, but I was thrilled to do so and found that it was actually relatively easy. And so then by the second week of service, I was able to feel comfortable in learning and communicating in Nicaraguan Sign Language. So that was really cool. Um, so if you fast forward then to the end of my service, I had only two days left until meeting up with the group. At this point, I felt really good um, that I had a really good grasp on Nicaraguan Sign Language and was able to have really good conversations with people in it. Um, it was in the morning, so I was at the special ed school with all the younger students. And it was recess, the sun was shining, you know, everyone was chill, everything was good. And I'm sitting along the edge of the courtyard, um, watching the children play, and see that the boys are getting rough, like they usually do. And of course, little Oliver wants to join. But this is a problem. And here's what you need to understand about Oliver. One, he's smaller and weaker than the other boys, and so he easily gets pushed down. Two, Oliver is only 10, and he is the youngest of the group, but he's also the newest to the school. You see, Oliver only just came to the alberque three months prior, and so three, Oliver doesn't understand play fighting. Naturally, I as a teacher and person left in charge, not really sure how that happened, um, go over to pull Oliver off the other kids before all this ends in tears, but I'm too late. Oliver got punched, and by the time I get there, he's mad. When I separate the boys, all his anger turns on me, and the next thing I know, I have teeth biting into my skin. <laughs> How lovely. Now I'm getting angry. After other teachers see the commotion and come to my rescue, a nice replica of Oliver's teeth are imprinted on the back of my hand. This was a very frustrating time period. I loved Oliver, and still do, as evidenced to those who have re recently seen my profile picture on Facebook. You'll notice Oliver and I are grinning ear to ear. But I had to step back and process why Oliver did what he did, and it made me connect to the months I had spent in frustration on study, as I had tried to understand my surroundings, communicate with others, and try really hard not to scream out in desperation. Oliver had come to the school with no language, absolutely nothing, and he was only 10 years old. No wonder he got angry. He is still trying to figure out how to understand his emotions, let alone express them. He only wanted to play, but things got out of hand when he didn't understand, and it's really hard. I had had similar moments of anger and frustration while in study, but after a long time, this changed, and here I am, with the privilege to have learned four languages. Having this realization has helped me come to peace with many frustrations I had had on study while I was struggling to learn a new language, and this gave me a new sense of patience for myself and for others that I will be able to carry with me. So by that same day in the afternoon, when little Oliver bit me for the second time, after another fight I had to separate, I wasn't so angry. Good morning, my name is Jesse Bontrager. I am a junior theater and com film double major. 
uh, from right here in Goshen. And I was asked at 9 o'clock last night if I could please share a funny SST story, which is very broad and kind of a tall order, but I started to kind of like mull it over in my mind. And I was kind of thinking, I don't really have that many funny stories, but I do have some fun experiences that happened. And one of my favorite SST experiences was my birthday, which is on June 7th. And that is towards the end of the study portion. And so it was on a Sunday this year, so a couple of us from the unit decided we were going to celebrate on that Saturday evening, June 6th, the night leading into my birthday. So we, uh, we had like a party planning committee, which I don't know how this happened, but it ended up being like the host siblings of my friends. So people I had never met were in charge of planning my birthday party, so they obviously had my best interest at heart. And then I knew we were in trouble when I showed up for my own birthday party and they had to ask who the birthday boy was. So I was like, well, this is clearly going well. And so we ended up at, their idea of a great birthday party was, we ended up at this sketch club at like 11 o'clock and like downtown, it's like disgusting very gross smelling, not very clean. And so I'm sitting in the corner by myself and, and it finally, it's midnight and it's, so it's like finally my birthday and I'm alone surrounded by people I don't know, a language that is still a little rusty, a culture that is unfamiliar to me still, still like trying to figure out the ropes. And other than the few people that I came with, nobody knows that it's my birthday. And I was completely miserable. You know, my idea of a good birthday is like going to get ice cream with friends and instead I'm being like grinded on by this middle-aged woman with no concept of personal space. <laughs> and I'm thinking to myself, this is 21, you know, this is supposed to be the time of my life. <laughs> and so, um, so I'm kind of miserable. I decide, you know what, I'm just gonna go home and get some rest because I'm really tired. So we go downstairs because the club was on uh, the second floor of this building and we decided we're just going to get a taxi home. And this would be like a really lame spot to end the story because it was just very sad and I don't know, not very happy, but we, uh, that's not where the story ends, luckily, and this is where the fun part comes in. So on the first floor of this building, we hear this really loud music coming, and there's a bouncer at the door. And so Brianna and I decide we're going to ask this guy, like, what's the hapsio, what's the scuttlebutt? And of course, we said that in Spanish. And so the guy explains to us that it's a quinceanera, which is a girl's 15th birthday party, which is just like a huge deal. It's like on par with, you know, like a graduation open house or a wedding reception or something like that. And so we ask if we can go inside and the guy's like, you're not on the list and like cracks his knuckles like it's some sort of like mob movie. So, okay, we're not on the list. So I'm like, well, let's just go home. I'm already like really miserable and tired. And Brianne starts to like push the bouncer on this. She's like, no, can we please just go in for like five minutes? And eventually the bouncer's like, yeah, okay, fine. You can go in for five minutes, but after five minutes, I'm coming in after you because you're not on the list. He like, he made it painfully obvious that we were not cool enough to be at this party. So we run in there and this place is cray. It is like there's a lit up dance floor, a live band, there's a huge buffet of food and a bar. And so we just like hit the dance floor and Brian's like dancing and I'm like doing that thing where I like writhe around on the ground like a dead cat. And so we're like kind of dancing and then before, like, before too long, people start to like, like this is a huge party, lots of people. People are like pulling out their smartphones and taking videos of us. And like there are a lot of little kids and soon I'm like leading them all in like the Macarena. It was like some sort of like inspirational dance montage. And so we soon, we soon we see the bouncer at the door and he's like five minutes is up, you gotta get out of here. And so, so we leave and we go to get a taxi. He's like, that was fun, good way to start my birthday, let's go home. But before we can get a taxi, the birthday girl runs out of the party in like her full gown and was like, you guys have to stay. I, I wanna put you on the list because you made my birthday. 
And we're like, wow. And so we ended up going back in and we stayed at the party for a few hours after that and got to dance with the birthday girl and dance with, talk with the family and dance with everybody. And at one point, the, the father pulls me to the side. He's like, I just want to say thanks uh, to you guys because you made my daughter's birthday. You know, before you guys showed up, this party was not very fun. Nobody was dancing. And then you came in and did your funny dance thing, and, <laughs> which was a little offensive, but it was still kind of sweet. And, and he says, so you made my daughter's birthday and I just want to say thanks. And so when I got home that night at like three or four in the morning, I was just thinking to myself, you know, this is very representative of my SST experience. Sometimes everything can be going totally wrong and then it just takes one thing going right to really just make the experience come alive and enjoy it. Good morning, my name is Emily Vogt and I'm a junior TESOL major and a lot of these pictures right now are of me and David's service in Chantales. Um, yeah, David got to work in the mines, which, you know, not the world's safest job, but you know, it's good. Um, and I'm going to be talking today about the concept of hospitality. Aren't his nieces the cutest? So sorry. Um, and so. Um, in the States, my concept of hospitality is pretty limited. Like, I'm a pretty personal person. I don't like sharing my stuff. And, you know, my family doesn't host people in our homes because we're also private people and we don't like sharing our stuff. And I learned that that's like, it's a pretty Western view and a pretty, pretty privileged view to not want to share everything you have with everybody else. So like I said, David and I were placed in the department of Chantales, which is right smack dab in the middle of the country. And if you remember anything from Isaiah's history lesson, that is where the Contra came right through. They just took like this direct middle channel through the center of the country. So it means during the 70s that there was a Contra occupation there. And to this day, the town is Sandinista, which was the revolutionary group and the mountainside is all Contra, so there's this kind of conflict there that's a little subtle and hard to catch. And this was, Dave and I were placed in the town where um, Maria sanchez Sherrick was placed during the literacy movement. And while she was there, her host family was slaughtered by the Contra. So as you can understand, this is a really war-ravaged, very difficult, high-tension region. And so David and I arrived, and we're both pretty nervous, um, Maria went with us, and I got there, and my family was not very hospitable, and they really weren't for the whole time I was there. They welcomed me, but it just, it wasn't like my first family where they took me in as part of their family. I was just kind of there, and I started to feel really discouraged, because it was a new place. Um, the way they spoke was different. <laughs> yeah, we were both sick for most of the time. Um, so, and... Like, everything about it was just really hard. And I started to get really down, like, and on top of all that, my host family doesn't even like me. Like, what is this? And just as that was happening, the community started to surround me. So we would go to church, and we would leave with, like, 20 invitations to come over for dinner. Or um, I would go to school and the staff would give me hugs and then they'd take me home for lunch and tell me about their families and give me all of the food they had, which was not a lot. Or David's host brother, who took it upon himself to be like our Nicaraguan fun club. Like, so whenever we were bored, which was the majority of the time, he would say, all right, we're going to go do something. 
So he would t like, we'd just hop up and he'd just go pop over to a neighbor's house. Wouldn't give them any forewarning. Their door would be open, we'd just walk right in. And we'd say hi, and they'd say hi, and we'd sit down and we'd have coffee for three hours. And they would run out to the panaderia to get us something to eat, and then we might even stay for dinner. And then at the end of these dinners, we would sit around and we would talk about differences between countries, and then they would give us a gift. And it was usually something off of their back. So the shirt that I'm wearing today was a gift from one of these women. We had just ate dinner with her, and she's like, I have something for you. You should go try it on to see if it fits. So I try it on, and what do you know? It fits, and she's like, okay, it's yours. It's like, wow, it's the clothes off her back. The same thing, David traded watches with his hus her husband and got a watch out of the sweet deal that blinks and does all these crazy things for, in exchange for his really kind of lame American watch. And we would just like go on trips to the Peñas Blancas and like, let's just go see how milk is made, let's go visit some mines. And it was really cool. And every time we were invited into these houses with open arms, with no forewarning. So then we get to our last days there and we have what are called despedidas or goodbye parties. And I didn't know if anything was planned because they're usually surprises. And I get to my first school, which I didn't have a very good connection with, and all of the teachers stay for two hours after to throw me a party and give me gifts, and they bought me cake, and we drank soda, and it was like this huge, huge thing, and we took pictures, and they presented me with a plaque and a gift, and then I will go to my second school in the afternoon, and they do the same thing, where there's a whole school assembly in my honor, and they give me gifts and food, and they tell funny stories, and they sing for me, and then we go to a third goodbye party for, with the Ministry of Education where, again, they give us gifts and food and they talk about nice things about us. And so I go home and literally half of my suitcase is gifts that I was given and the other half is the stuff that I needed to bring back. Now, this is a lesson I'll never forget because they literally took their clothes off their back and gave them to me where I was hesitant to share my things with them, or gifts that I was given, like when Bob and Pamela came and gave me peanut butter and Nutella, I obviously didn't want to share. <laughs> but they showed me what the true meaning of hospitality is, and how sharing with one another builds community and fosters support. Hi everyone, I'm Emma Kuplichty and I'm a junior art major. Um, that's all we have for you today, but first before we go, I'd really like to say thank you to our leaders who were Bob and Pamela Yoder and um, their kids. They made the experience really fun and were always there to support us when we needed help or were sick. A lot of us got sick there. Um, and also I'd really like to thank Maria Sanchez-Sherk who um, was our country coordinator, and because of her connection to Nicaragua and because of her love for Goshen College, she was able to get us a lot of really awesome opportunities that we may not have had otherwise. Um, yeah, thank you for coming. Um, of course, not everything you heard today here was everything that happened, so we'd really love it if you would ask us any questions you have. Have a good day. Thank you very much for that glimpse of your experience. I hope it inspires you, 
many of you to go sign up for SST options if you haven't already. I just want to note that um, there are a few remaining opportunities for chapel and convo credit, including two more uh, Wednesdays in this space, as well as Godspell, which opens this weekend. And I was able to attend dress rehearsal last night. It's an amazing show. I want to encourage you all to go to that, and um, you can usher if you'd like a free ticket as well. I'm going to invite Irina Gladden to make a quick announcement as well. Hi, everybody. I'll be really quick. Just some things going on uh, Art Club. Our Art Club art sale is December 8th at 1 to 6 p.m. in the Union Building. If Several of you have already contacted us about selling your work, and if you haven't, um, please email artclubgc at gmail.com for information. And keep in mind that this is a great opportunity to get your Christmas gifts for everybody. Um, this Sunday, November 15th at 7 p.m. in VA 13, we're doing a movie, The Artist is Present, which is a documentary about Marina Abramovich. It's going to be very interesting. If you're interested in art, you should come. We're going to have snacks, etc. It's going to be great. Uh, and then Wednesday, November 18th, we're having a Wes Anderson movie night. We'll be watching the Royal Tenenbaums at 8 p.m. and VA 13 as well. So please come by. We'd love to see you there. Have a good day. Thank you. Goodbye.